Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, my name is Jeff Wanger, and I will be reading from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, and chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. One day long ago, God's word came to Jonah, Amittai's son. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh. Preach to them. They are in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. But Jonah got up and went the other direction to Tarshish, running away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on board, joining those going to Tarshish, as far away from God as he could get. But God sent a huge storm at sea, the waves towering. The ship was about to break into pieces. The sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods. They threw everything they were carrying overboard to lighten the ship. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the hold of the ship to take a nap. He was sound asleep. Next, God spoke to Jonah a second time. Up on your feet and on your way to the big city of Nineveh, preach to them. They are in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Jeff, for, uh, for reading that, uh, that bit of Scripture. Um, before we get going, I want to also, something I should have said at the top there, that, you know, this is Memorial Day weekend, of course. And I think it's, it's apropos in a, in, a, in a worship series where we're talking about answering the call answering our call, that we, we take a minute and remember those who heard the call and went and made the supreme sacrifice, inspiring people, ordinary people who performed extraordinary things, who made a sacrifice for our freedoms and our liberties, men and women who answered the call and gave everything. If you have folks in your family or friends who have lost those in military service, this is a, we, thank, we acknowledge that loss and remember you this weekend. We're in a series on answering the call. And we had a pretty good start last week, right? Wasn't that, wasn't that good? Jana, Jana Servine, Tony Walsh, Liz Strand-Simity, they were talking about uh, how God's call and influence their lives. So this week, after that big start, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. We're going to, as obviously from the, from, the, uh, from the Bible passage, we're going to talk about Jonah, the reluctant prophet. It's a whale of a tail. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, they don't get any better as we move along, so you're, you're thank, thankful. The reluctant prophet. You know, what we see is that God's call is persistent, Even a reluctant prophet like Jonah can be successful. How much more? And I want you to, we're going to dream a little bit today. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to dream. How much more can God accomplish through us when we willingly and joyfully follow that call? Jonah, Jonah's one of the minor prophets. Now, when when we say minor prophet, that doesn't mean unimportant prophet. What that means is these books are shorter. All right? They're all bundled together at the end of the, of the Old Testament. 
And when I was uh, going to Calvary Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas, going to vacation Bible school, and I was trying to memorize the books of the Bible, this is the bunch where I kind of just ran out of steam. It's like, Obadiah, what? Hezekiah, no, Hezekiah is not, he's a king, not a Bible. So Jonah is right in the middle of the minor prophets, and Jonah is a little different than the rest of the books. Jonah is a book that's got narrative, it's got poetry, it's got allegory, irony, a little bit of humor. It's got this puzzling ending that kind of leaves you hanging. 48 verses. I mean, compared to the rest of the Old Testament, this is a tweet. So what can we learn from this reluctant prophet? All right, there's four chapters in Jonah, four, quickly, kind of four acts to the play. As we heard, Jonah gets called to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is, there's some allegorical aspects. Just think the most sinful, depraved city, just whatever is in your mind, that's Nineveh. Human sacrifice, worshiping idols, promiscuity, it was terrible. And God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes in the opposite direction. In a town, he goes to Tarshish. He gets on a ship. And they think Tarshish is maybe in Spain or Sardinia, but as we think symbolically today, Tarshish is just about as far away from God as you can get. And there's actually some commentators that think Jonah didn't just buy a ticket on the ship. He bought out the whole ship. He said, this is my ship. We're going to Tarshish. And there's a violent storm, Act 1. Act 2, the sailors, if you, and if you read the book, you'll notice that in this, another little bit of irony, that the sailors are the ones that listen to God and want to do what God says. The king of Nineveh is the one that wants to do what God says. Jonah is going the other direction. And the sailors, in the midst of this storm, are wondering, what in the world's going on? And they look at Jonah, and they're like, you, tell us about yourself. And Jonah said, I, I serve the living God. So in a moment of truth, Jonah says, yeah. And he said, well, you know what? Why don't you throw me overboard? Maybe that'll help. I didn't say Jonah was rational. I just said he was reluctant. He goes overboard and then entered the great fish. Not necessarily a whale. And Jonah spends three days and nights in the fish. And then, and I'll leave to your imagination how this happens. He finds himself up on the beach. Up and out of the fish. Act two. Act three, Jonah says, okay. No, he made, he made a, he, he did say a prayer in the fish. And he said, okay, okay, I'll go. So he goes, and in what might be the, most, the shortest and most effective sermon in the Old Testament, Jonah went to Nineveh. Nineveh is like a three-day three day walk across Nineveh. He, he only went one day in. His heart really wasn't in it. And Jonah preached the following sermon. In 40 days, Nineveh will be smashed. Amen. That was it. Pretty effective, huh? Oh, were that sermons were that short? Yes. Ah, uh, but no, they aren't. Um, and what happens? Nineveh repents. The king says, "Oh my gosh, 
I have to serve the living God. So the king puts on sackcloth and ashes. He orders the court to put sackcloth and ashes. He actually says, the cows should wear sackcloth and ashes. All right, that's the humorous part of this. With a, with a reluctant sort of, you know, kind of, really kind of, I don't know what, in-your-face kind of sermon that really didn't have a lot behind it, God used that to turn the most sinful city in the world around. Act 3. Well, Jonah wasn't having any of it. Act 4, Jonah wasn't having any of that. He was, he, was, he was mad because he actually was sitting on the side of a hill and what he was hoping was that God was going to bring fire and brimstone and burn those people up. And when God saved them, Jonah was really not very happy. So he goes and sits on the side of the mountain, pouting. The sun is beating down on his, on his head. And God creates a little plant to grow up over Jonah and shade him. And Jonah was happy with the plant. And then God sent a worm to eat the plant. And the plant shriveled up and died. And then Jonah said, woe is me. Just kill me now, God. And God said, you get all worked up over a plant that you didn't have anything to do with. But you don't care about a city of, a, and this is symbolic language, 120,000 people, many of whom are, don't know their right hand from their left hand. And that means, that means they're infants. They're, they're, you know. And, and you're, you can't get concerned about that and you're upset with me, God, for caring about them? And that's the end. I told you, it leaves you hanging. Our focus today, though, is going to be from that Chapter 3, verse 1a. Next, God spoke to Jonah a second time. God calls back. God calls back. It, it made me think about phones. Anybody got their phone with them today? I won't tell on you. It's okay. Anybody, is anybody on their phones today? Kind of doing something else? Yeah. There's 301 million cell phones in, in the United States. 301 million. 301 million. In April, there were 6.12 billion robocalls. That's just in April. So if you do the math, everybody in April got 20. Frankly, I think it's an undercount. Right? I mean, did you buy the warranty? All this, uh, all these calls, all this noise, it's created some curious phone habits among us, I'd say. Call screening, you know who you are. Hmm, do I know? I guess I should use my own phone. The do not call list, the fabled do not call list, everybody wants to be on that because they don't want to be called. The introvert's favorite, this is mine, calling knowing that the person probably won't pick up. Oh, nobody here does that? Nobody? Like, I do that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you, oh. Um, texting. This, and then there's some weird etiquette stuff that's come up. You t- texting to announce the call. 
hmm. Actually, I had to do that with my daughter for a while. I'm calling. And then there's the texting when, they, when, when, when someone called you and it's like, uh-oh, I should have answered that. And you're like, you text back to them and go, I was, I was in traffic when you were really in Starbucks, but whatever, you know. So weird, you know, kind of strange, um, strange etiquette. Have you ever missed an important call because of call screening? Something, someone you really needed to talk to. Yeah. But perhaps the most annoying one, and maybe you have people like this, are the people who just don't pick up. Isn't that annoying? And you know who they are. But you call them anyway. How does that make you feel? I remember when my daughter would never answer my calls. I mean, she answers them now. Yay! Mostly. Um, I'll talk about that later, but how does it make you feel when they don't pick up? How do you imagine God feels when God calls and there's crickets? The good news, friends, is that God calls back. God is always calling back. And that God delights in our picking up. Now, I told you we were, going to talk, we were going to think allegorically today, symbolically. So let's take a look at Jonah and take a look. How, how, does his action, how do his actions translate into phone habits? He tried to get God to put him on the do not call list, frankly. God doesn't have a do not call list, by the way. God calls everybody. He went to Tarshish because he's like, maybe they don't have 5G there. Maybe Tarshish is this place of no cell phone. You know, maybe my service will be so bad that I will not be able to pick up at all. Problem solved. Then he tried to ignore God's call and let it go to voicemail. That was when he was fast asleep. Actually, some translations say that, it's, that he was snoring. Other translations is like he was almost dead. Okay, so he's like, I'll show you. I'm not going to answer. I'm going to sleep. Then he said, you know, I'm, maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to create this environment maybe where God will never get through. I'm going to ask him to throw me overboard. I'm kind of in the phone-free zone now. And why did Jonah do that, by the way? Well, he did it because what God was asking him to do was hard. It was going to be hard. Jonah didn't want to do it. Jonah had a better idea. Jonah wasn't into a God of love and mercy. God, you know, he wanted thunderbolts and fire and brimstone. That was the way things should be. Jonah was going to control this situation. Jonah wanted it his way. And he goes through all of this to avoid that call. And so God said, just like Southwest Airlines, he says, okay, you want to get away? Meet the fish. And Jonah is three days down in the fish. Why do you think he spent three days in the fish? I mean, if it had been me, I'd have been praying day one, minute one. Get me out of here. But he's in there three days. You know what I think? I think Jonah liked it down there. It was quiet. The phone didn't ring. He thought maybe God couldn't find him. I think he got hungry and said, well, okay, I guess I'm going to pray my way out of this thing. Three days. 
three days in the fish. Thank goodness God called back. God called back. One more thing about phones, back to this phone thing. There's so many calls. There's so much noise. And it translates into the rest of our lives. So much noise in the world. How many, I mean, I've got so many, this is sort of an anachronism, I suppose, to talk about this now, but how many channels do I have on my TV? And how much of it is just dreadful? And how much of it is just noise? Stuff I'll never watch. But it's in the way of the things I want to get to, right? How many movies you've got to scroll through, 86 really terrible movies to get the one you really want to watch? A lot of noise. So I, you know what, I, I would really like to have a curated life. You know, curating, that usually that's in the context of a museum. You know, the museum people curate a showing. They carefully manage the display of the items in the museum. Well, there's actually a website called The Curated Life. You go look at it. It's interesting. Curated Life. Yeah, I want a life where I can select and organize everything that, that I interact with. I want to avoid those I don't want to see. Don't talk to the people I don't want to talk to. My Facebook page is friends only. My media preferences are self-reinforcing, so I'm never confronted with an idea that's counter to what I already think. And sometimes even my Bible study is just a familiar recitation of a bunch of familiar stuff where I can go, yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah. When was the last time you were in a Bible study and you were challenged? You heard something that made you go, oh, my goodness, I've got to think about that for a while. Hopefully that happened this morning. That's my wish for you. No, the curated life is sort of like dwelling in the fish. I'm living in my fish, and I like it there. You know, the more we screen out, the more that we miss. The the more we screen out, the more that we miss. So, I took a look at a book. It's called How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Thank goodness, Normal People, by by Pete Gregg. This would be a great book for, uh, for a Bible study. Looking at, looking at, looking at y'all out there in those studies. Pete Gregg, How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. What, he's, what Pete, Pete says, Pete Gregg says on page 200 of that book, most people insist on hearing the voice of God in their own terms. Their own terms, curated, screened. Now, the book is full of suggestions for how, to, how to, to, to get in touch with the voice of God, but I'm just going to talk about two of them today, two of them, two ways to counter the curated life when, where our need to control is sort of like dwelling in the fish. Two ways. Culture, Pete writes about culture and community. Culture and community. Two C's, two things to remember today. First, culture. The burning bush story. Remember the burning bush story? Moses encounters the burning bush. That's when God speaks. Now, I've never seen a burning bush that I know of. Maybe you have. But in verse 
In chapter 3, verse 4 of Exodus, that account, go look at it. It has this curious phrase. It says, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look. God didn't reveal God's self until Moses took the time to notice. Another quote from the book, We're blind to the bush burning in our backyard and the wisdom that is contained within it. We, we long for a word from the Lord, but somehow we've been suckered into believing that the pace we keep is what leadership requires. This book is a for leadership among pastors, but I think it, it plays well to a general audience. We slide inexorably into a way of life that offers little or no opportunity for paying attention, and then we wonder why we're not hearing from God when we need God the most. Maybe we've been swallowed by a great big fish. Maybe it's a fish of ambition. Maybe it's a fish of ego. Maybe it's a fish of the need for more. Maybe it's a fish of control. I'm going to plan my work and I'm going to work my plan. A little more from Pete Gregg. If we're serious about hearing God, we will make time and commit energy to become students of the world in which he has placed us by nurturing a relentless fascination with the passions and assumptions of those he's given us as neighbors. Parentheses. We'll pay attention to others. We will turn aside regularly to wonder why ordinary things burn so brightly. Ordinary things burn so brightly. What Pete Gregg is saying is perhaps we could listen more, we could notice more, we could seek more, we could wait more, we could learn more, we could understand more by taking the time. Maybe we curate our life in a different way. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote this. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Are you picking blackberries? Or have you acknowledged that where you are is holy ground? Culture. The second aspect is community. This is God speaking through others. Now, some of us, I know, have been swallowed by the fish of loneliness, maybe relational dysfunction, maybe the fish of radical independence. I'm going to do it my way. I don't need any help from anybody else, okay? Just me. Hundreds of acquaintances and no true friends. What Pete brings up, Pete Gregg brings up, is this idea of a soul friend, a soul friend. An anamkara, a night, you know, Celtic word. Help you help maybe maybe help you remember that. Do you have a soul friend? 
John O'Donohue writes about this in a book called Spiritual Wisdom from the Celtic World, and he says the following in the book, with the Anamkara, your soul friend, you can share your innermost self, your mind, and your heart. This friendship, and he's talking about the ancient times when, when this notion arose, this friendship was an act of recognition and belonging And when you had an Anamkara, your friendship cut across all conventions of morality and category. All conventions, morality, and category. You were joined in an ancient and eternal way with the friend of your soul. Friends, as I read that description, if the image of someone does not enter your mind immediately, think about that. Because... What Pete Gregg is saying is that it is through the, our community, through others, that God will speak to you in an audible voice that you can hear, and it's unambiguous. Now, he's not recommending that you take one of your friends and call them, and, and if, they actually, if they actually were to pick up the phone, maybe you should text first and then call them anyway. Hey, I need an Anamkara. Are you in? No. Okay. That's not a thing. Don't do that. But you could think about an existing friendship, and maybe you take it a little bit deeper. Maybe to new depths. And I don't want to be too gender-specific here, but for you men, that means quit talking about sports scores and your yard. And start talking about some stuff that matters. It involves intentionality and vulnerability and mutuality. I don't mean to pick on men. I think I, there are plenty of plenty of plenty of women who, who whose maybe friendships operate kind of at a superficial level. What I'm suggesting is that things go a little bit deeper. And you won't have dozens of anamkara in your life. You just need one. When was the last time you prayed with one of your Facebook friends? Try that. Open up and share an area of of shame or pain, something real, something that's on your mind. And some of you are doing this. I'm not suggesting that this isn't going on. But I'm saying, curate your life so that this is intentional, this happens. And then what you can ask is the same thing that St. Francis of Assisi asked his friends, he was, he was concerned about God's will in his life, and he washed their feet, and he didn't ask them, hey, what do you guys think? No, he asked them, what does the Lord command from me? What does the Lord command from me? He asked his friends, what should I be doing? And the voice of God spoke. Culture and community. We're trying to get beyond this curated life. Trying to get out of the fish. So pick up the phone, respond to the call. You know, there's roughly 2 billion Christians in the world. 2 billion. Christians. And think about all that could happen if Christians 
responded to their calls. I'm not talking, and I'm not just talking about this, the, the general call to live as Jesus would live. That is important, but I'm talking about specific calls, custom tailored for each of us. Let's just dream. What if that happened? Vast, let's think about it. Vast amounts of money would be given to the poor. Maybe there wouldn't be any more poor. Outbreaks of reconciliation between warring factions. I think United Methodist Church could probably solve its little problem. I might get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it anyway because, you know, I'm the only pastor here. Um, Fox News and MSNBC, their ratings go down the tubes because we quit living in an echo chamber and we actually talk to each other. People who disagree about things talk to each other. Millions turn to Christ. Millions. What would happen at Stonebridge if everyone lived out their call? You know, the question is, what is that difficult, challenging, out-of-your-comfort-zone thing that God is asking you to be and do? Because Jesus said, when we follow, He said when we follow, we should pick up our cross. Not our phone. Pick up our cross. And maybe that's the whole point of the call. There's an old hymn that says, Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. Some folks think that this transformation of the world that we're talking about, that for that to happen, all the non-Christians need to become Christians. Well, friends, I think what's needed is for the Christians to become Christians. To pick up and to answer the call. Because what could happen if we paid attention to what God is asking us to be and to do. Because I'd suggest to you that the world needs some transformation. You know, on Monday, we're, we're going celebra- to remember 1.3 million war dead in the United States, just in the United States. You know, the nations of the world thought that if they, if they just bought and sold stuff with each other, that, that, that peace would prevail. And in Ukraine, we have 10,500 civilians killed, 11,500 injured over that, 6.1 million million refugees. How is that working? We argue about critical race theory, and then not just 10 days ago, we have a racially motivated shooting in Buffalo by somebody that believes in something called replacement theory. 13 people shot, 10 killed in a mass murder. You have to call it that. We're arguing about how many guns we really need. There's 393 million firearms in the United States. We, pass, we've, we have passed gun laws. How's that working? In Robb Elementary School, 38 people are shot, 21 are dead, 19 third and fourth graders, and two teachers. 
I don't have any policy prescriptions. That's not what this is about. But I do know that what we're doing now, in the, in the words of the mortal philosopher, Dr. Phil, you've got to ask, how's it working for you? I do know that when Christians hear their call and lean into what they are to be and to do, that that is the only way, the only way the world is transformed. Until then, living and loving like Jesus is really just a bumper sticker, okay? And the transformation of the world is just a marketing statement. Nothing changes until we hear the call about what we are to be and to do. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See, on the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Let's pray. Gracious God, you call and you call and you call. Empower us to listen, to hear, to be and to do. Because that is the only way your kingdom will come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.